Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. A reminder, as you are making your travel plans, Check johnnydollarair.com. johnnydollarair.com is our Priceline affiliate link. So you get all the benefits of going through Priceline.com, but part of the purchase price benefits the great detectives of old-time radio at no additional cost to you. So remember to check johnnydollarair.com. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The original air date, March 23rd, 1954, and the title is The Piney Corners Matter. For your listening enjoyment, John Lund as... Johnny Dollar. Bob Creel, Johnny. Tri-State Limited. Oh, hiya, Bob. Listen, want to read your letter. Says, uh, if you want to know who killed Martha Williams, you pay no mind to that person or persons unknown. Look close to home. Real close to home. Well, there you are. Signed with that famous old name, I suppose. Yep, synonymous. Postmarked, uh, Piney Corners, Pennsylvania. Uh, Martha Williams was killed a month ago. Shot. We carried a $10,000 policy on her. Who's the beneficiary? Her husband, Ben Williams. He's a farmer there. The, uh, coroner's jury brought in an open verdict. We're about to ready to pay off the policy, but now... How about it, Johnny? Piney Corners, huh? All right, Bob. Provided I can find it on the map. If I cut in for a few moments, fellas, I, I hope it won't start an argument. But if you'd like to get into an argument that will pay off nine times out of ten, you just bet someone that the Treasury Department has its own Navy. Well, that happens to be true. It's a fact that the United States Coast Guard is an agency of the Treasury Department and has the job of seeing to it that any activity involving the coastal waters of our country is strictly within the law. The Coast Guard has many responsibilities to keep it busy. It assists ships and aircraft in distress, protects game, seal, and otter fisheries in Alaska, and maintains the International Ice Patrol in the North Atlantic. It operates lighthouses, light ships, beacons, and other aids to navigation, and removes wrecks and other floating dangers. In addition, the Coast Guard enforces laws and regulations relating to customs, navigation, neutrality, immigration, and quarantine. All peacetime jobs under the supervision of the Treasury Department. During wartime, however, the Coast Guard is attached to the United States Navy and acts directly under that branch of our military service. But whether it operates under the Treasury Department or the United States Navy, the Coast Guard is a mighty bulwark in the protection and defense of our country. Expense 
Defense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Tri-State Assurance Company Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Piney Corners matter. Expense account item one, $48.40. Transportation to Piney Corners. A town of 1,200 people, one inn, one restaurant, one general store, and one constable. A lantern-jawed man of middle age named Jake Finley. Well, lived here all my life, Mr. Dollar. First murder we ever had. Don't rightly know just how to go about dealing with it. Well, maybe between us we can come up with something. I hope so. Ain't much I can give you in the way of facts, though. Clues, I guess you call them. The woman's dead, and that's about it. Could have been an accident, even. What do you mean, accident? Hunters from the city come through here regular, shoot at anything that moves. One of them might have done it unintentional, then got scared and run. A city hunter with an old-fashioned squirrel rifle? That's what this bullet was fired from. Well, I said it could have been accidental. I didn't say it was. I reckon somebody meant to kill her, all right. Only trouble, though, I can't figure anybody that might have had a reason to. What about this slug? The ballistics boys make anything out of it? Nope. Too flattened out. Sent it clear to Philadelphia. They said there wasn't any way of telling what particular rifle it came from. And pretty near everybody in the township got one of them guns. Nope. It's like I said. No clues. Not speak of. There are people, though, Jake, with different motives and different capabilities. And one of them did it. Not the one you're figuring most on, though, Mr. Dollar. Her husband, you mean? Ben Williams? Why not? Ain't the type. Like you said about capabilities, he wouldn't kill anybody. You'll see when you meet him. Well, then suppose we meet him. All right. Farm is just outside of town. I'll drive you out there. But uh, <laughs> the township's kind of frugal with money, and I will have to ask you to pay for the car expense. Fair enough. Maybe we could make a couple of other calls, too. I'd like to talk to the coroner. You already have. I'm the coroner. Well, let's go. Expense account item two, $4.50. Car expense from Piney Corners to the Williams Farm. Or at least part way to the Williams Farm. After stopping several times to point out local landmarks, Constable Finley pulled up beside two people who were building a rock wall along the road and introduced me to Williams' neighbors, the Keelers. How do you do, Mr. Dollar? I'm pleased to meet you. Hey, Mr. Dollar's an insurance investigator, Ira. He's checking into Martha's death. Oh, I see. Try seat, Cotton. Why, yes, that's right, Mrs. Keeler. Oh, it's a terrible tragedy. Sad thing for all of us. The Williams have been neighbors for years. Good neighbors. And then this, after all the other trouble it had. What sort of trouble, Mr. Keeler? Oh, Martha's illness. After that operation last year, she was almost an invalid, you might say. Ben had to care for her, along with doing for the house and running the farm, too. Huh. A lot of time he spent caring for her. Now, Agnes... Not half as much time as he spent hanging around that girl. What girl is that, Mrs. Keeler? Oh, that little flippity jibber. Agnes. I'm afraid my wife is just repeating gossip she's heard, Mr. Dollar. Ben Williams is a fine young man. Any stories to the contrary are idle rumors. I know the girl, Mr. Dollar. It's Flora Lane, a waitress at the Piney Corners Inn. You can talk to her when we get back to town. Good. I don't reckon we'd better get on over to Ben. Oh, uh, by the way, Mrs. Keeler, the company appreciated your letter. My le- How'd you know it was me? Oh, I just guessed. Nice to have met both of you. 
Goodbye. farther now. William's house is right ahead of it. You figure this is how the killer got away, down this draw, huh? Yep. As far as the road, back where we left the car. Couldn't have been seen from either the killer place or the William's house. The brush is too thick. Yeah, that all right. Let's see now. Over about there is where I calculated the shot was fired, Rotten. Right next to that survey marker. Yeah. Come on, I'll show you. What was the survey for? Well, they was figuring to build a turnpike through here last year. Finally picked someplace else a few months ago. Too bad. It made this land worth something. Now, let's see. Martha Williams was sitting in that big front window there. Then put the glass back in since it was long about dusk. Miss Keeler was in the room with her. She brought over a cake or something. And somebody's standing above where we are now... Fired at her through the window with a rifle and killed her. And got away. Back down the draw there, I figure. Tell me something, Jake. This waitress at the inn, Flora Lane. She pretty? Well, taste differs. She's pretty enough. Was it just a rumor? Or was Ben seeing her before his wife was killed? Oh, he stopped by the restaurant once in a while. Cup of coffee, piece of pie. He was doing all the cooking at home. He got mighty tired of it, I reckon. And what about now? Is he still seeing her? He eats most of his evening meals there. That's what you mean. How about his wife? Did uh, she have any chance of getting well eventually? Not according to the doctors. They said she'd be an invalid as long as she... Uh, you're barking up the wrong tree, Mr. Dollar. It adds up, Jake. A pretty girl in the offing... Young and alive, an invalid wife and a run-down farm. Now, he wouldn't be the first man who's gone wrong trying to get out from under a burden like that. Yeah, not Ben, though. It ain't his nature. Come on, let's go up and talk to him. You'll see when you meet him. Why would Mrs. Keeler go out of her way to get him into trouble? Sending that letter? Well, she's always been a good friend of Martha's, but she never has like Ben. I don't know why. That's just the way she is. I wouldn't put no stock in what she said. I don't see much sign of life. Well, Ben's in and out. You never know. Sounds like somebody's coming around the house. I guess he was working out in the barn. He's looking for... Oh, the constable. All right, Tom. I'm fine, Mr. Finley. Ben around? Nope. Nope, he ain't here. I've been working out back, fixing a spreader. Mr. Williams ain't here, though. Any idea when he'll be back? Nope. Nope, he didn't say. You can go in and set, though, if you want. Yeah, maybe we will. Oh, we're, this is Mr. Dollar. Tom Smith. Howdy. Why? Tom does odd jobs for Ben, some of the other farmers. Works around here and there. I see. Were you working here the day Mrs. Williams was killed, huh? No. I wasn't even near here. Anybody that says so is lying. I was clear over on the other side of town. Shall we go inside, Mr. Dollar? Okay. I'll see you, Tom. He gets kind of excited when he thinks he's accused of anything. He's not much on brains, you know. 
Has he ever been in trouble with the law? Well, petty stuff. Shooting game out of season, mostly. Oh? Is he a good shot? Dead shot. Never misses. We waited in the parlor for a while. The room where Martha Williams had died. Gradually, the sun dropped behind the hills and Ben still hadn't come back. We finally left and drove into town. I arranged to meet Jake, the constable, later at his office. Then I walked over to the Piney Corners Inn to eat dinner. There were half a dozen tables in the place, all empty. I was the only customer. The waitress was pretty and friendly and fitted the description. Feels like it's turning out to be a cold night. Yeah, it sure does. We have some awful good pot roast this evening. I think you'll like it. All right, fine. You're a, a stranger in town, aren't you? Yeah. I'm here looking into the death of Martha Williams. I see. Are you by any chance Flora Lane? Yes. Yes, I am. Well, I guess you're the person I'm looking for. You worked very fast. Thought it would take longer. Oh? I knew you'd find out, of course, sooner or later. I was hoping Ben and I would at least have a little time to ourselves first. Well, it looks like it didn't work out that way. Never does. Once you've been knocked down, life never gives you another chance. Did Martha have a chance? I wouldn't have done anything to harm her marriage. Didn't let on to Ben how I felt. Not once. Not until after she'd been killed. That's considerate of you. And I know he didn't give me one thought as long as she was alive. Not in his nature. So I've heard. Doesn't it mean anything at all when a person's acquitted? Acquitted? Acquitted of what? Well, that other... I thought you knew. I thought that's what you... Maybe you better tell me about it, Flora. I'll find out anyway. Now that I know what to look for. Yes, you could, not you? Four years ago in Chicago, I was working as housekeeper for a family. The wife died suddenly. They said I did it because I wanted to marry the husband. I was tried for murder. You know, many great men have attained the highest office in our land, the presidency of the United States. Can you guess the name of this man? He was third vice president to become president through the death of the man holding that office. A man of limited education, he was taught to read and to write by his wife. In 1862, when Tennessee threatened to secede from the Union, he was appointed military governor of occupied Tennessee by President Lincoln. As president, by a threat of war, he stopped Napoleon's attempt to seize control of Mexico. And his administration saw the beginning of the Reconstruction Era. A senator before he became president, he was re-elected to the Senate after his presidential term of office was over. If you don't have his name by now, here are two more clues. During his administration, Alaska was purchased from Russia and Nebraska became a state. Who was he? Andrew Johnson, 17th President of the United States. His life, 
is part of your American heritage. And now, with our star, John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account item three, a dollar and sixty cents. Pop row special at the Piney Corners Inn. I finished it, left, and walked down the empty street to the constable's office. Ah, pull up a chair, Mr. Dollar. This old oil burner don't throw much heat. Oh, thanks, Jake. You find Ben? No. I met his girlfriend, though. Laura? I reckon you found out about her, too, from that look on your face. Yeah, she let the whole thing slip. Thought I was already onto it. It don't have no bearing, Mr. Dollar. Oh, maybe not. The way it stands, though, I could make out a pretty good case against Ben. Except you haven't met him. It adds up, Jake. An invalid wife, a pretty girl, a run-down farm that doesn't look as though it's made a profit in years... And a $10,000 insurance policy just dangling. Yeah. In fact, it's even worse a picture if you look at it that way. What do you mean? That farm's not only run down, it's mortgaged to the hills. Ben needed money for that first operation last year. And the others later. The bank wouldn't touch it. Well, what happened? Ira Keeler came through and helped him out. $7,500 dollars. That farm wouldn't bring 4500 if it was sold tomorrow. Naturally, Ben feels pretty obligated. And $10,000 would take the pressure off all the way around. Huh. I've been wondering about something. You said that nearly everybody in the township had one of those old-fashioned squirrel rifles. What about Ben? No. Just a shotgun. Yeah. I saw it when we were out there, hanging over the mantel. And I noticed something else at the same time. The hooks the gun was hanging on. They hadn't been put there for a shotgun. They were too far apart. But I think they'd fit a squirrel rifle just fine. Ben's not one to lie, and he told me he didn't have a rifle. But that's something else I've been studying about, Mr. Dollar. I kind of half remember seeing a squirrel gun hanging over that mantle in years gone by. Expense account item four, four dollars and a half. Car expense for another trip with the constable out to the Williams farm. The lights are on. Oh, evening, Jake. And Ben? Uh, I'd like you to meet Mr. Dollar. Hi. How are you? Well, it's sort of cold out, huh? Yes, it is. Mind if we come inside, Ben? Oh, sure. Sorry, Jake. Uh, come on back to the kitchen. That's the only room I keep a fire in. Uh, pull a couple of chairs out from the table there. Thanks. I'll see if I can shake this grate down a little. Get the draft started. You uh, got some business out this way, Jake? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, we're here to talk to you, Ben. Oh? 
Mr. Dollar here is an investigator for the insurance company that's got the policy on Martha. He aims to find out who killed her. Oh, I see. You got any idea about it yet, Mr. Dollar? Yes, an idea, but nothing more than that. You mind telling me? No, I don't see any reason not to put the cards on the table. The way things stack up right now, looks like maybe you killed her, Ben. That's a lie. Well, I wouldn't harm a hair on her head. I said looks like. Looks can be deceiving. What do you mean? Mr. Dollar's been checking here and there, Ben. Talking to people. The Keelers and Flora Lane. What's Flora got to do with it? Nothing. Or she could be part of your reason. Why, didn't you make her acquaintance hardly before the last week or two? What about Mrs. Keeler? She's a friend of yours, isn't she? Well, she's a good friend of Martha's. Why do you ask? She thinks you killed your wife. She wrote a letter to the insurance company. Why, she's crazy. I always knew she never liked me, but I didn't figure she'd go that far. Ben, whatever happened to that squirrel rifle you had around the house? Why, uh, the week before Martha died, uh, somebody... Well, how'd you know I had it? What happened to it, Ben? Jake, uh, uh, I didn't lie to you, actually. You asked me if I had a rifle, and I said no. And, and I didn't then. You didn't ask me if I had had one. Where's the rifle now, Ben? Well, I don't know, Mr. Dollar. It was stole the week before before Martha was killed, and I ain't seen it since. You didn't say anything to me about it being stole? How come you didn't report it? Because Martha asked me not to. Uh, she thought she knew who took it, and she wanted to give him a chance to make good. And she was like that, always giving people a chance. But after she was gone, after she'd been shot by that same kind of rifle, you still didn't report it. Because of how it would make things look. Reporting afterward that the gun had been took before. Don't you see? Who had a chance to steal the rifle, Ben? Well, I don't know. The only ones I can think of that was in the house that week are Mrs. Keeler and Tom Smith. Tom Smith. Jake, is that the kid we met here this afternoon? Yep. He's taken things before, Mr. Dollar. And he's crazy about guns. Oh. Maybe we ought to check into it. around here back to the feed store, Mr. Dollar. Kind of a shack on the corner of the lot. They let him use it in return for keeping an eye on the store at night. I think the door is here at the corner, if I recollect. It's been a All long... right, now. You stop right where you are. It's Constable Finley, Tom. Mr. Dollar's with me. All right. I figured it was somebody trying to break in. Well, now that you know it isn't, I wonder if I can have a look at that gun you're holding... Well, I reckon so, Mr. Dollar. Sure, here. Thanks. You got the flashlight, Jake? Yeah, yeah. Just a second, now. There we are. Well, no luck. It's a twenty-two. What you fellas up to, anyhow? Tom, what did you do with Ben Williams' squirrel rifle? How'd you find out? Never mind. What did you do with it? I, I ain't got it now. Where is it? I sold it. I did. I sold it to Mr. Keeler. He gave me $3 for it about uh, three weeks ago. Three weeks. That'll make it a week after Martha Williams was shot. 
And you took the gun the week before she was shot. Well, Tom? Well, what? I don't know what... Are you saying I shot Mrs. Williams? I'm asking. She was the best friend I ever had. The only one in this town ever treated me like somebody. I wouldn't do nothing to hurt her. Now, Tom... Besides, that gun ain't even been fired for three or four years, maybe. Miss Williams never did use it. It's even got rust inside the barrel. Tom, for your sake, I hope it has. Expense account item five, another four dollars and a half for the loan of Jake Finley's car to drive out to the Keeler farm and pick up the stolen rifle. As I walked up to the porch, the door opened. Oh! Evening, Mrs. Keeler. Oh, it's you, Mr. Dollar. Is uh, your husband at home? Oh, yes. He's in there working on his account. Uh, Mr. Dollar, about that letter, it was a terrible thing to do. Well, it's... I don't really think Ben, uh, Mr. Williams, had anything to do with Martha's death. And I don't hate him either. In fact, I... oh, not that Ira isn't steady and reliable, but well, life on a farm isn't easy for a woman at the best. And she wants more than just cold, hard profits and grasping for more and more money. She gets silly notions. Mrs. Keeler, I don't... She wants warmth, that's all. Nothing more. And Ben wouldn't even pay any attention to me, Mr. Dollar. You understand. Yes. I think I do. You go right on in. I have to take these preserves over to Miss Daly. I don't know why I told you all that. Good night, Mrs. Keeler. Mr. Keeler? In here. Morning. Sorry to bother you this time of night. Oh, Mr. Dollar. Just finishing up my last year's account book. What can I do for you? Well, unless I've been misinformed, you bought a squirrel rifle from Tom Smith a while back. Yeah, that's right. Hanging there over the fireplace. Three dollars. Quite a bargain. Of course, I wouldn't be surprised if he stole it somewhere. He did. From your next-door neighbor, Ben Williams. Hmm. I'm out three dollars. Well, I'll take it over to Ben in the morning. I wonder if I could look at the gun, Mr. Keeler. We're trying to check on Tom's story. Of course. Go right ahead. I'll just finish this total while you're doing it, and we'll have time for a chat. Fine. He went back to the ledges on the table in front of him, and I reached up and took the rifle down from the hooks over the mantel. Tom Smith had told the truth. There was rust in the barrel and on the breech. The gun hadn't been cleaned nor fired. But I saw something else, too. The hooks over the fireplace. They were old and rusted and set firmly into the mortar. They'd been there for years. Find out what you were after, Mr. Dollar? More than I was after. I know who killed Martha Williams. Tom Smith? Murders are ordinarily committed because of hate or for gain. Now, hate didn't seem to fit in this case. But Gaines did. Who benefits? At first glance, Ben Williams, the beneficiary of the insurance policy. Oh, I don't believe it. No, neither did I, not completely. Didn't quite add up. Maybe it was too obvious. No, it wasn't Ben, Mr. Keeler. It was somebody who stood to benefit even more than he did from that $10,000 policy. Who? Somebody who made a $7,500 loan out of kindness. That in itself should have tipped me off, Mr. Keeler. As Jake says, it wasn't in your nature. My nature? 
And, of course, it wasn't kindness. It was good business at the time because a turnpike was being planned that would make the farm worth twice that loan. But the road fell through and you were stuck with a worthless farm unless Ben could get money to pay you. I imagine that's when you started thinking about murder. You're accusing me of murder, Mr. Dollar? Those hooks over the mantle have been there a long time. Where's the rifle that hung there before you bought this one from Tom Smith? It might not have been one. The neighbors will remember. Yes, uh, let me just uh, put down this final total. <clears throat> yeah, there. I had a good year last year. Very good year. I doubt it's going to be that good this year. Well, no regrets, Mr. Dollar. It's like farming. You take risks on grouse, frost, insects. Sometimes you lose. Make a mistake. I knew I'd made a mistake the second I pulled that trigger. It was just a matter of time. The gun's buried out behind the barn. Expense account item six, $57.20. Incidentals and transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, $120.70. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Welcome back. Well, a uh, pretty good story. I've always really enjoyed the Bob Bailey version of this story. But this one, I think, does as good of a job, although the Bailey story does uh, take a few elements and kind of helps it breathe a bit more. I do have to admit that I struggle a bit with buying into the premise, and I don't think that has to do with the quality of the episode, but just compared to years past when I listened to uh, the Bailey version, part of that, I think, is coming across this episode after we've heard, you know, so many episodes of Tales of the Texas Rangers. The big premise of this story is that the constable has a feel for what the basic nature is of people in his town and what they're capable of. If he tells you that the husband didn't do it because it's not in his nature, that should be a persuasive argument. But Johnny, being the cynical big city investigator, doesn't buy into it until he's done a lot of investigating and spent a lot of time when the constable was right from the get-go. On Tales of the Texas Rangers, based on real-life cases, we've seen a lot of sheriffs who have no idea what's going on, who will vouch for people who turn out to actually have done it. And it kind of makes you wonder, can you be 100% certain of anybody? Even in a small town where everyone knows most everyone else's business. So I hope Tales of the Texas Rangers not turning me into a cynic, but uh, the realism of this 
I found a bit more doubtful this time. Even though it did kind of point Johnny in the right direction. Alright, well, listener comments and feedback now. And I uh, have a comment from Robert who writes, Hi Adam, I love your podcast. Keep up the awesome work that you are doing. I have a question for you about... Uh, the early episodes of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. It seems to me that the early episodes of the program must have been recorded in a theater because it sounds like they must have used a theater pipe organ for the music. Could you tell me uh, what theater these episodes were recorded in, please? Also, do you know anything about the organ or the artist who played it? Uh, whoever it was must have been a master of the instrument because the incidental music for the program is just gorgeous. Well, thanks so much uh, for the question. There's another part and I will get to that, but uh, nice to hear somebody enjoying the organ music. In terms of where this was recorded, I don't have a like a 100% solid answer, but I would say about 90% certain it was recorded at Columbia Square, which is a massive complex uh, that uh, is located at 6121 Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. It was originally built with eight studios, seven of which were just normal radio studios. And then there was the Columbia Playhouse that uh, seated 1,050 people. Then they added two additional audience studios, a bit smaller capacity, 350 each. And that would be where most CBS West Coast uh, programs would originate in that massive complex. And certainly there would be organs in there. I couldn't tell you the specific studio or the specific organ that was used. Tony Dollar was a series that, uh, particularly by this point, did go out by transcription. So I could not tell you all that went into the logistics, but that would be the information I have. In terms of the organ that was played by Eddie Dunstetter. And what I knew about Eddie Dunstetter is that he did a lot of radio programs. I first encountered him on Let George Do It. Uh, when he started out on Let George Do It, he was the composer of the theme, and he also conducted the orchestra. As orchestrated scores became more expensive to do, Mr. Dunstetter became the program's organist. And he did the organ and composing work on a lot of programs. Some well-known and some are lesser known. In a few months when we do Meet Miss Sherlock, we'll be getting a double dose of Mr. Dunstetter's organ work as he did the organ score on that very rare forgotten series along with yours truly Johnny Dollar. But your question sent me looking to find even more about Mr. Dunstetter. He was born in 1897 and he got his start in music as a silent movie theater organist in his hometown. Dunstetter's career received uh, some additional insight from a blog called uh, The Christmas Yule Blog, which hasn't been updated since 2011, but in a 2007 article, the uh, writer notes that uh, 
He was able to discover Dunstetter had been responsible for uh, discovering the Merrimack. And he did also try his hand uh, providing a, a music score for a movie. Uh, in this case, uh, Donovan's Brain from uh, 1953, that particular horror film. But Dunstetter was known as a very uh, talented organist with a lot of uh, albums to his name. He had recorded various singles and EPs going back to the 1920s. Uh, either as, you know, just himself, or also working with other uh, performers as the uh, featured uh, organist. Uh, with uh, Bing Crosby and Francis Langford and Kenny Baker, uh, among others. And uh, then he, uh, what he was featured for the Christmas Yule blog for was his uh, Christmas records. The first one was in 1959 with The Bells of Christmas, which was a really big success and a great album. And then uh, he released The Bells of Christmas Chime Again. And uh, this apparently was a much better album, but it had the misfortune of being slated to come out in December of 1963, right after the assassination of President Kennedy, and people just thought that Christmas music was frivolous that year. So it bombed, and then he did a final Christmas album called Christmas Candy, which uh, was written as more like some of the more jolly contemporary Christmas songs. After that, he left Hollywood and went to Minneapolis and taught uh, uh, organ music at the McPhail Center of Music in Minneapolis until he passed away in 1974. Now, you can find a few of Eddie Dunstetter's tracks on uh, Apple Music. Particularly, the Christmas candy songs were picked up on a compilation album, uh, Christmas Cocktails, that was released a few years ago. The, the vast majority of Mr. Dunstetter's work, including The Bells of Christmas, is out of print. On Amazon, it says it's got a... CD available uh, and MP3 music, but that is actually to a, an entirely different The Bells of Christmas. Much of Mr. Dunstetter's early work in the 1920s and 30s is available at archive.org. And you can also find albums of it on uh, YouTube. Uh, and the otherwise, you're looking at uh, tracking down used records. And the name is spelled Eddie, E-D-D-I-E, Dunstetter, D-U-N-S-T-E-D-T-E-R. A very talented organist. Then Lawrence sent along an interesting link announcing that Liam Neeson will be starring in Marlowe, which is uh, going to be coming out in December. And uh, based on the novel Black Eyed uh, Blonde by John Banville. I guess when I read the article, I had a couple of thoughts. First, it seems like Liam Neeson is a bit old to play Marlowe at 70. 
But then I thought that Robert Mitchum was older when he played Marlowe, but I checked, and uh, when Mitchum played uh, Marlowe, he was, uh, the last time, he, he did it in two movies. In the second film, he was 60 when it was filmed. Oh, he was not older than Neeson is right now, though to be honest, he looks uh, in that film older than Liam Neeson. I don't know, maybe it's you have to be an actor of a certain age to want to play this role. I don't know how many 30-something actors are out there, 30 or 40-something actors, which would be the right age to play Marlowe, really want to, you know, in, in 2022. Age aside, I'm sure Liam Neeson will do a good job. He's a fine actor. The choice of material to adapt is interesting. The story... Uh, that I was sent by Lawrence, pointed out that they didn't opt to do a Chandler story, but uh, this later novel that was released with the estate's uh, cooperation back in 2014. I reviewed it on the blog in 2015. I thought it was a pretty good novel. It was actually better than some of Chandler's novel. It was certainly better than Playback, and I enjoyed it more than the little sister. I do kind of wonder, there is was one big problem I had with that novel, which is that it turned into a surprise sequel to another novel. I'm kind of wondering how they're going to work around that when they get around to adapting it. Will they change the ending so it doesn't tie into that other novel? Or will they leave it as is? Because if you're choosing to adapt a more modern novel, you think that you're trying to appeal to an audience that might not be as familiar with Marlowe. So something that refers to uh, a story that they've not seen or experienced probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't know if I'll see it. Um, I'll see the, the trailer, see the reviews. Uh, I've not actually gotten to the theater since before Elijah was born. So that's going to be a factor as well. I doubt I'll see it in theaters, but we'll see if it can pique my curiosity enough that I you know, rent it and watch it or if it comes on some streaming service I happen to be uh, subscribed to. Thanks so much for the email, Lawrence. Also received an email from a listener in the United Kingdom. Uh, who uh, writes, You were doing the Johnny Dollar wrap-up and threw out David Tennant. My ears perked up. In my opinion, the greatest doctor ever. If you ever get a chance, go to YouTube and type in Doctor Who cast and crew sing 500 miles. Such a great moment. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate the uh, comment. David Tennant is one of my top doctors, although, of course, I lean more towards the classic era, Troughton and Baker, particularly Tom Baker. But Tennant is superb and has done some really good audio drama versions of Doctor Who for Big Finish over the last few years. So much uh, good stuff. I could take a very long time ranking them all. But I will also agree that that is a great uh, video. Very fun if you love the Proclaimers or Doctor Who or both to make sure you get all the jokes. So thank you so much for the email. Wow, from Eddie Dunstetter to the Proclaimers, uh, quite a little journey we've gone on here. 
Now let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Cindy, Patreon supporter since March of 2020, currently supporting us at the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Cindy. And that will do it for today. A reminder, if you are not subscribed to this podcast, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast uh, from, whether it's Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or Amazon Music at amazon.com slash otrdetectives. And if you're enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We will be back next Friday with another episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But join us back here tomorrow for Tales of the Texas Rangers when... Not very pleasant to look at. No. When we first come out here this morning, I thought maybe it was an accident. Maybe his horse threw him or he hit a branch or something. No. One look around here kills that idea. I know. Dead leaves on the ground. No rocks. Nothing he could have hit that hard. Whatever his face met up with was plenty hard. Flesh laid open to the bones, jaw and nose smashed. Any of the other ranch hands ride this way last night? Nope. Are you sure about that? I checked. All but one of them rode into town on the pickup. I know where they all were. I'll show you the statements later. You said one hand stayed. Yeah, but he never left the bunkhouse. You make sure of that? (laughs) I didn't have to, Jace. He's in bed with a broken leg. He's been there two weeks. I guess we can count him out then. Any money on the body? No, but this outfit pays once a month on the 15th. That's two days off. Cowpokes all figure to be broke. It'd be a big surprise if they weren't. The whole fight must have taken place right around here in a circle about ten feet. Why? I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com. Slash Great Detectives from Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.